We are It's More Than Just a Chant. We are inspirational creators, difference makers, world changers, and we are one community. Join alums Jared and Ross as they uncover stories of Penn Staters and their unique professional and personal journeys. We are Penn State, and this is Lion Legacy. Episode number 52 of Lion Legacy. Good to see you, my friend, Ross. You say that like we haven't seen each other in a while. (laughs) Just once a week. I kid. Yes, that's right. No, it's always a pleasure, Jared. We are in August, and I know it's a big vacation month. Got any vacation plans, my friend? Actually, next week. A little family beach vacation. So Where are you going? We used to go many years. We went to Cape May, New Jersey, which was a lot of fun enjoyed it thoroughly and we decided to switch it up this year we're actually going to bethany beach in delaware never been yeah me neither actually but i heard it's great so we're gonna go check it out it's easy with the kids we got the beach right there the pool might actually try to play a little tennis i know you're a tennis guy yeah Uh, we got some rackets i don't know we might give tennis a shot you and the kids or jess what's Uh, whoever's interested yeah i mean jess and i are interested the kids i don't know they run hot and cold but yeah, so we're checking out, you know, beach vacation of a different sort, but it'll be nice to get away for a week. Nice. That what do you have going really on? Good. Allie and I are doing a very different vacation than a beach vacation. We're actually going out to the state of Washington. We've been on this national parks kick. We actually yeah. have this annual national parks pass. I think I mentioned few episodes ago we went to moab yep and now we're going to washington state we're hitting up three national parks yeah which uh, ones olympic rainier north cascades they are all in different parts of the state so i'm going to be doing a, a lot of driving but excited to i guess explore the beauty of, yeah. of the u.s we live in new york city so the hustle and bustle of the concrete jungle so we'll take in a little bit of a of nature so to speak there you go. Are, you, are you going to be glamping i just wanted to say glamping. we will not be glamping this time we'll, we're staying in mainly airbnbs okay just hoping i go back to that podcast with matt enderly i just hope we don't run into any bears yeah no bears no. no no bears no no coyotes no lions let's just have a peaceful no wild animal type of experience yeah i don't blame you so we'll do that and also visit seattle too we fly in and out of seattle so we'll spend some time there cool once everybody's back and whatever episodes we have that are on the other side of vacation i'm sure everyone is waiting with bated breath to find out how our vacations went but we'll certainly recap yeah looking forward to that yep Hey, Jared, we're talking exercise today and actually a little bit of a different exercise, but we'll get to that in a second with our guest exercise. What's your go-to exercise? I'm a big Peloton bike guy. I'll do about 30 minutes. I try to do about five, five days per week. What I love is the competition. I love looking at that leaderboard and seeing how far up I can go. I try to always be in the top 20%. I feel like I hover. 15 to 30 sometimes but that's always my goal try to ride up those mountains as fast as i can there you go i like it what about yourself i'm just a runner jogger whatever i I like cardio i try to get my brain wrapped around the strength training but 
I just, I dislike lifting weights, but I try to do basic. I'll try to work in some push-ups and some core exercise wherever I can. Um, but for me, I like to go out, put my headphones on, listen to some music, some other podcasts. Although I did kind of mess up my knee a little bit. So I've not been able to get the mile, log the miles in this past month as much as I'd like to. That's why you got to go on the bike. It's less wear and tear on the Yeah, the I know, but I just, I don't, I do have a, I have a bicycle. I, <laughs> during COVID, I bought myself a nice bike. I, which I will admit I don't use very much. I, it's just a, I don't know. I don't, you know what it is when I'm, if I'm running, I can almost be like, like zone out when you're on the bicycle, you gotta, you gotta watch for traffic. You gotta, you gotta Indoor be able, bike, man. You don't even have to, you don't even have to know how to ride a bike. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, I guess I, I do know how to ride a bike, but yeah. Anyway, the reason we're speaking exercise, right? There's a reason for all this. So we spoke with Matt Rhoda. He's come from the entrepreneurial cloth, right? And so Matt was the one of the co-founders of a company called Reflection. That's with an X, R-E-F-L-E-X-I-O-N, Reflection. And they came up with this, which he's going to explain it to us, this neurotraining, neurofitness device, if you will. And he's going to talk about who does he, who uses that, right? I mean, obviously it's athletes and others. And it's really cool because you think about, Jared, you think about training and fitness and wellness in a physical way, right? We talk about cardio and strength training, but your brain is, I'm pretty sure brain's a muscle, but anyway, you have to make sure you keep it, keep it well oiled, so to speak. And so anyway, reflection, the, their whole gig is neurotraining and neurofitness, whether you're a high level athlete or somebody that's had a, a traumatic event, you can keep yourself functioning well on the mind and the brain. So it's really cool. He's got a great story. I mean, it's really how the company came about was a little bit different than what we expected, but I give him a lot of credit and he built that thing along with his co-founders from the ground up. And a special thanks, of course, to KDO Tools podcasting class. This episode was produced by student Toby Prime. And thanks, Toby, for a great recommendation. So anyway, Jared, with all that, let's go exercise our brains today with Matt Rhoda. All right, let's welcome Matt Rhoda, a 2020 graduate with a degree in general science. While at Penn State, Matt co-founded Reflection, a technology company focused on neural fitness and training and used by some of the leading athletic and sports institutions. Matt, excited to dive into this topic. Thanks for taking time and joining us on Lion Legacy tonight. Yeah, very excited to be here. Thank you both, Ross and Jared, for having me. Great to have you on, Matt. Hey, I don't think this will be much of a surprising first question. I'm sure you get it a lot. But what exactly is neurofitness or neurotraining? Explain that for us. Yeah, that is a good place to start. The foundation, it's neurotraining is training, but for cognitive and visual skills. And that sounds technical, but it's things you know of like hand-eye coordination, peripheral vision, reaction time. These brain skills can be improved and Reflection, uh, the company I co-founded, sold a product for neurotraining. Interesting. So tell us a little bit more about this product and how it helps with neurofitness. What does it entail? And then who are your customers? Yeah. So we have a, a couple different types of products at Reflection, but you can conceptualize it as something like high-tech whack-a-mole. The company sells LED touchscreens, either custom-made or picture like a 55-inch touchscreen TV, and you're running exercises on it with lights. So picture touch as quick as you can or memorize the pattern or both. 
And then we sold a software service for different exercises, tracking your data to see how your brain skills were improving. So even late last year, actually, we started developing a virtual reality product that Reflections launching in the coming months too. So really transferring that to a, an entirely different medium. But as you think of who could use neurotraining, that end user is, it has a lot of applications, but that was typically athletes for us. Our customers were training facilities or university sp sports programs, but even places like wellness centers and rehab centers that were working with people recovering from concussions, strokes, it was a very wide range of customers and users, but really focused on that core ability to improve brain skills. As I say, for the listener, I actually was I was on your the reflection website. I think that's a great way to explain it. I think for the listener, as they're listening to this, I definitely suggest it to take a look at the reflections website so you can mm -hmm. see the actual visual of this whack-a-mole, right? That's on a, what looks like a flat screen TV. So I think that's a great way to- Yeah. It's a lot easier to see than it is to describe. Great yeah. for trade shows, really a showstopper there for people walking by, but tough to, yeah. to verbally explain. Yeah. hundred percent. Every idea has an origin story. And so share with us how you came up with this idea. This is a famous one among re reflection lore, but I'll set the scene. February 1st, 2014, I'm a junior in high school. I am playing an ice hockey game in my hometown of Lancaster, Pennsylvania. So right after the puck drops, uh, I end up snatching it away and skirt around the defender. So it's moments after the game has started and there is now no one between me and the goalie break away, skating down the ice. Now I shoot and here's the kicker. I score. Thank God I scored <laughs> because right <laughs> after that, I get illegally sideswiped fall to the ice and slide into the boards head first at pretty much breakaway speeds concussion now the short version of this is the protocol i went through after that injury was very bad i ended up missing about six weeks of school plus months of vision problems headaches things like that and generally just did not have a good time, we'll say. But that injury, though, was the genesis of a class project where a few months later, myself and the original co-founders of Reflection, who were just buddies at the time, started working on this problem of concussion detection. Now, that's what introduced us to the world of brain health in athletics, and we eventually shifted over to neurotraining away from the concussion detection. That was for a plethora of reasons, but really got down to building technology that works on these brain skills and can test and train them. So just a follow up there from yeah. like a concussion detection standpoint, you would have the athlete ideally do like a baseline before preseason and then if they went through some potential traumatic brain injury would that, do, do this is, yeah, that, is yeah. that like ideally how it was conceived we'll call that the baseline model for concussion testing take a baseline before the injury then compare afterwards let's like imagine for a second though that you blow up that idea or framework because that's typically how most concussion or almost all concussion testing is handled handled our product and idea while we were not actively marketing towards this sort of concussion use case because you have to be careful with that but imagine instead that you use a product like ours reflection where you're going every day in the weight room you're doing bench press you're doing deadlift but you're also doing reflection as cognitive training and you're using that to kind of bridge that gap between physical cognitive training 
generating a overall holistic athlete that's going to be good at a lot of different things. That's just training. You're only helping the athlete in this scenario. But then that person gets an injury. Now all of a sudden they've slid into the boards head first. Rather than having a single baseline to compare to, you have months of cognitive data on what their norms are, their averages, where their quote unquote baseline is. And so it's actually an all around smarter way to do it by trying to really, it's like proactively get ahead of it, call it sneaky concussion testing, because that's really not the idea of it. It's about performance training and helping these athletes get the most out of their game. So the fact that you can combine those two together really creates a system that's totally new to what we're doing, but really revolutionary in its potential for helping athletes and awareness for concussions. Yeah, it's very interesting. I'm curious, and I'll just stay with the concussion. If someone did it after a concussion and they've been doing it months and months, I imagine one, their time would be slower, but would they potentially also have just kind of struggle with the eye movement? Oh yeah, the eye everything movement. Go, everything sounds like it would probably hurt in some ways, right? From a brain. It, exactly. I mean, it, I've seen people post-injury attempt to use this product or some of the reflection drills and exercises, and you can see them struggling or you might, maybe it's not visual, but you'll end up with like a bad headache as the person's trying to do it. So it's truly remarkable the way that these cognitive skills play into your everyday life. Try to close your eyes and walk up the stairs <laughs> or right. brush your teeth. And you're going to realize just how much this stuff plays into it. So it doesn't take a ton when it comes to head injuries to throw that stuff out of whack and out of balance. Now, our product was never really made for the immediately after the hit use case, kind of like my story where we never ended up going down that route for development. But nonetheless, I have no doubt that it would have those sorts of applications and ability just based on the way it impacts brain health. Very interesting. So talk a little bit about the process from idea to actual product, right? It's one thing to come up with this idea entirely different thing to launch it. You came up with this idea actually in high school, but then of course you find yourself at Penn State on top of that. Yeah, it's it, many prototypes is one way to just, to answer that question. There's an expression, it's hardware is hard. It's duh, yeah. But that <laughs> is definitely true. There were many prototypes that we went through. I mean, the LLC was formed in 2015. We had been working on the product for probably a year or almost a year before that. And we didn't sell a single product until 2018. So it was about three years of product and development. And then I would say it was probably, it was another year until that product was, we'll call it commercially ready or scalable. So it took a lot of effort and iterations and modifications to get it to that point. It was not an easy process to build, but on the software side, that was something that I think an area we did really well or excelled at was the was incorporating customer feedback we did an excellent job at listening to customers hearing from them what is important what features do you need to make this product indispensable what will you need to pay for it and really listening to those market forces to understand what was most important and what problem were we really solving for the customer? Because it, to your point there, Jared, it's very difficult or it's a much different process from idea creation or what you think it's going to look like to, to what it actually does. 
So we're going to keep rolling with that. So you mentioned you, you get the product out on the market 2018. Anytime you introduce something new, you're going to get some hesitancy, right? You've got, I guess, and to spin it positively, you got feedback from your customers to make the product better. But talk about your initial customers, right? I don't know if you can name them, but who was your first customer, right? And how did it kind of go in those yeah. early days of get, of rolling that product out to the market? Yeah, I can answer the one part of that question pretty easily. Yeah. First customer was Duquesne University in their athletic training department okay. or their research department. So the athletic department couldn't make a purchase over $5,000 without special approval. So we sent them an invoice for $4,990 sure. and a couple of days later made our first sale. And I've already hinted at the issue we faced, which I call it an issue. I'll explain why, but our product is something that is very applicable in many different areas, places. It could be stroke rehab or concussion detection or performance training for athletes. And in those early days, we were getting a lot of interest from all these different areas. And it was simultaneously a good problem and bad problem. It's good because, okay, there's apparently a need for this technology that we are developing. Bad, though, because we are a startup with very limited resources and ability to develop products and or a feature set for a certain customer base. And we realized pretty quickly that if you develop a product for all, you're developing a product for none, or it just gets a little bit too generic to really effectively solve the needs of, say, performance training. And... So that was some of our motivation and customer discovery process that we went through when I said we shifted away from concussions. It's it, We had this origin story tied to my injury, but at the same time, we're recognizing that if we shifted to performance training, these were organizations that were ready and willing to pay for the product now, as opposed to after FDA approval, just as one of many reasons we made that shift. But it was difficult. Yeah, we were we dealt with Duquesne at first, sold a couple different organizations on the concussion use case and really doing that side of it, but then shifted over into selling to optometrists who were based on the whole visual cognitive field with that being tied in, and then really settled into the performance training centers and athletic departments at universities in the latter half of the time I was there. Broad base, but the I think maybe the takeaway of all of that is just that your customer changes over time. But the most important thing you can be doing as a founder of a company, I think, is listening to those market forces and figuring out what's important to your customer and what problem you're truly solving. Because that's what allows you to perpetually make it to that next step of growth. I'm curious, are there like different levels? So someone who's going through stroke rehab, are they seeing a different level of the game or a different type of quote unquote game yes. than someone who's a professional athlete? That is a perfect example of what I meant by when you make a product for all, you make a product for none. Of mm. we, we couldn't be developing something that had a generic default for the difficulty of a drill because we had exactly that divide of someone who is post-concussion is going to look way different than a professional NASCAR driver or IndyCar right. racer. 
Yes. The short answer to your question though there is, yeah, we had to spend a lot of time developing these different exercises for different groups of people and creating, we'll call it an easy, medium, and hard. And what that looked like for these different groups to make sure that this drill was enjoyable. And I mean, that's actually a really important part of this is if if it's too hard, you're going to end up with people in the rehab use cases being very discouraged that they're not making progress, that they can't see that. And then likewise, on the athlete side, they're going to get bored if it's not challenging them. So that actually was a very precisely tuned measure that we had to look at was the difficulty and challenge level of these drills. Yeah, it makes complete sense. And speaking of customers, and you mentioned pro athletes, I know the NBA champions, Denver Nuggets use reflection, great case study on the website. Very exciting, of course, and congratulations to you and the rest of the team there. You've certainly helped a lot of people with their fitness and rehab and training, but without naming names, is there one story over the years that gives you the biggest sense of pride? Yeah, let's see. One one case. I think that for me, having this the story of reflection tied to my own injury and concussion. I loved seeing the professional athletes use our product. Like it was a great day for me when my high score was overtaken as like the number one score on the product. Because for a while it was just me and some others doing it. But those were great moments. The ones that really stuck with me though and have a sense of pride are really the the rehab use cases or the ones that were other kids or students who had concussions. And I spent some time with a customer in Tennessee, actually, one of our early ones who they they ran a program for a lot of different kids who had visual issues. And that could be for vision therapy. And that could be because of concussions, or maybe it was they were something we were born with. But regardless, talking with some of those patients and being with that customer, seeing the product used to help kids live their lives, play sports, or be able to read the chalkboard in school. That was, I think, the at least one of the moments I can think of, of all of them in terms of impact, moment of pride, and just something to look at and say, oh, wow, like, you can be really proud of that. Yeah, tremendous impact there. That's amazing, really. And the number of professional athletes who are you and teams and collegiate teams who are utilizing Reflection today. Very, very, very exciting. Yeah, very Thank exciting. You. I'm curious, right, though, we talk about exercise, fitness, running on the treadmill, jumping on the exercise bike, lifting weights, yoga, so on and so on. <laughs> Do you actually see neurotraining becoming part of people's general fitness regimen? And if so, what is it going to take to get to that point? Yeah. Yes. And let me tell you why. I have called neurofitness or neurotraining is the final frontier of sports performance. And the reason, the explanation for that is if you look at every other area of human performance, it's pretty darn optimized or at least well-researched. I'm talking cardio fitness. If, if you want to train for a marathon, we have a protocol for that. Strength training, if you want to bulk up, we know what to tell you. Nutrition, we tell you eat these proteins, get these carbohydrates or avoid them. All of this stuff is very well studied, understood, or at least 
research to a degree, whereas the brain is this last area of unknown, but also opportunity for improvement. I said it earlier, but try to close your eyes and play literally any sport and you're not going to get too far. If you arm that fact with the knowledge that visual skills, cognitive skills are unquestionably proven to be trainable, you're now looking at this area or this opportunity for especially elite athletes to get that next level, that next competitive edge. And that's really how we see it and have seen it play out in the industry, in the sports world, that typically this technology, like even weight training, for example, was not all that common back in the 90s. If you were a soccer player, you weren't doing weight training because it might bulk you up, it would make you less flexible, it might slow you down on the field. Whereas now we know that's not the case at all. All athletes should be doing some form of weight training. And so we see neuro as pretty much the same form. It's already at the professional level, the elite level, and the programs that can afford lots of expensive technology to have all the high-end gear. But we're really at the point where we're starting to see some form of neuro training, whether that be reflection or a different low-cost version that's being incorporated at the lower level among many different places, the youth athletics, especially. So we see that transition happening. I will also just one more point on top of that is that it's a trend we've seen in COVID as well, that just think about the way COVID has made, has put attention on mental health in a way that it never has before. Simone Biles dropped out of the Olympics for mental health. That's a conversation that just didn't exist 10 years ago. And people are recognizing that the brain matters in performance. So that uh, as tough as COVID was on the sports world, shut everything down for a really long time. And that was a, made it a difficult time to survive. Nonetheless, I think that in a lot of ways, it drove the industry our direction to say that the brain matters, there's opportunity for improvement, you can be doing stuff here too. So I think we're well on our way in that trend for neuro training becoming just as common as cardio, strength, endurance training. We are probably just still a few years, years out though. And correct me if I'm wrong, I believe you have actually a, a platform that this can be done at home, right? With a touchscreen TV. Is yeah. That, that yeah. Right? I mean, we try to make it as accessible as possible. And our first couple products, they had cost barrier with the hardware, but that's as we release this virtual reality product, that's what we're most excited about seeing though, because then it's, as long as you have a meta quest, you're looking at a $20 a month or a, in that range of pricing membership. So we're trying to bring neuro training to far beyond just the elite level and to others. What I really liked from listening to the video on the website, and I would urge all our listeners to to go on again to reflection.co, right? It's .co? Mm-hmm. .co. .co. Not .com, .co. Um, no ends. Exactly. <laughs> and I'll put it in the show notes as well. But the Denver Nuggets strength and conditioning coach actually explained it really well, but also said that the athletes are doing hard physical training and then doing it, right? So they're taxing their body. They're trying to kind of simulate what would be happening on an NBA floor with multiple distractions, with physical tiredness, and then actually going through that neurofitness training. I thought that was a really interesting way to kind of share, share the use case of that. 
It's also the problem that Reflection was trying to solve, that the technology that exists for this, it's very one-on-one -on -one and specialized, where if you have a sports scientist on staff who can work one-on-one -on -one with a quarterback, great. That person's going to get neurotraining. They're not the one we need to worry about. It's these larger organizations or people who are dealing with teams at once, and that's where our product tried to very seamlessly fit into a weight room. It's what I mentioned earlier. You go from bench press to reflection to deadlift and bridge that gap between cognitive and physical training. Cause you're right. No one cares if you can shoot a foul shot during practice. Can you shoot it when there's two seconds on the clock and you're down by one? So it's like, can you put yourself under that physical, physical and mental stress and still be able to perform at your best? That's why like having this cognitive training in the weight room is so smart and also another way to make that training even more effective. Regarding that, regarding feedback, I mean, I'm just trying to think about, obviously the, the stories you're saying here, they speak for themselves, but have you heard from, from your athletic customers, have they seen a notable difference in some element of let's say like performance in a game where maybe there was something that one of the players did or how a team came together in some way that they can track back as a, as a direct benefit to reflection. More so on, on, on a qualitative standpoint or talking with these athletes and professional players and hearing from them directly that they're saying things like I can see the field better. And that's one of the main ideas of our product is at least that the flagship one called the edge, it's six feet to interact with this thing. It is your entire field of view. So to be training something like that, and then hear the player say, yes, like it's making me more aware of my periphery and my surroundings. I can see the flow of the play happening in front of me. Like that was the sort of feedback. And I can think of a dozen examples from direct customers or athletes really who were telling us those sorts of facts and it was always just a lot of fun to hear just that positive reinforcement that your product's being used and loved <laughs> sure and you touched on it a little bit at the beginning but i'm thinking one thing i can't stop thinking about as we're chatting here is alzheimer's prevention right like you mentioned obviously somebody that's had a traumatic event by way of a stroke perhaps an accident was there any research done by the company as far as for the aging population to use this product to try to just keep them sharp Obviously, the, the old ways we have are like puzzles and reading and mm -hmm. other ways to keep your mind active. But is that something where for somebody perhaps that's not an athlete, but also hasn't had a traumatic event that this would help them in some way as they get older? Yes. Now you brought up research or mentioned that and reflection is in the process of collecting that data. In fact, right as back like early spring, as I was leaving, we announced a partnership with Perth Integrative Health, which is a elder care group in or elder care, but also rehab center facility in Australia, actually, to do a Parkinson's specific research study using the virtual reality product. So it's something that there's a lot of research out there to indicate that this technology applies matters and would have a very positive impact that needs to be proven first. And that's what the company is trying to do. What about the military? I'm just thinking this is a perfect device, right? For the military. Uh, I don't know if you could share, for, right? Yes. And in fact, for a long time, the military was our largest customer and one of our first two at the United States Air Force Academy in Colorado Springs. But that's another excellent example and use case of we had 
the Air Force Academy, we had West Point, we had a couple army bases. The military application is rather obvious. And you're also starting to get feel the sense that we did. A, there's a lot of applications for yep. this technology. There's a lot of people out there who can use it. And it's cha- it's a challenge to develop something that is going to help everyone and, and do this simultaneously. So I'll just reiterate, that's a difficult part to this and ha- it makes product market fit and that sort of questioning and train of thought, like all the more important to go through if you're an entrepreneur and founder of trying to figure out where your product belongs. It's a great segue to our next question, right? Because we're going to talk about you as an entrepreneur. We've spoken with a few of them over the course of our time here at Lion Legacy, and we always like to share some wisdom and advice for the community of entrepreneurs that are out there who perhaps are just starting out. So what are a few things that you learned as an entrepreneur in your journey? That's a good question. Every now and then I get this and I struggle with it because on one hand, there's nothing that I can say that's new mm-hmm. in the sense of there's, you know, go go to Google. Google's smarter than Matt wrote up. <laughs> but... <laughs> At the same time, I think that if you if you like really break it down, it's that entrepreneurship, it comes with a lot of doubt. It has very high highs, very low lows, but a lot of doubt in there too, that you are supposed to be the person that is not only coming up with the answers to your problems, but the questions themselves. No one's telling you what direction to focus on or where to go. And you need to figure out what those questions are to begin with. My advice is to first off, talk to as many people as possible, build a mentorship network. I think people are really what matter, but that to just believe in yourself. It sounds a little cheesy. I'm going corny on this answer, but really believe in yourself to know that if you work hard enough, eventually you'll get there. And that regardless you're going to learn a lot from the experience. And I think actually that's maybe the most important takeaway is the experience is really what's teaching you all you need to know. And it's what's so invaluable. So if you have an idea, go for it, shoot for it. Worst case, you're just going to learn a lot. Good answer. I like it. And we should also touch upon a few months ago, you decided to step away from reflection. It was a company you co-founded Certainly, I imagine was it a hard it was a hard decision for you to take a different path? <laughs> the hardest decision. Yeah. I mean, yes, it absolutely was. I, I was a founder. I'd put my heart and soul into this for eight years, was about how long, nine if you count an extra one in there. But for me to make a decision that was so impactful to my life and to the different areas of it, it had to be like not one or two, but six reasons that made the case for that this is the right call and decision. And ultimately, I just I knew that I wanted to take a path, a different path outside of sports technology. And I was burnt out, truthfully, after eight years. And so that's that was a lot of the motivation. I passed the reins to my CEO and co-founder, Matt Campagna. He's been leading the charge since my exit in April of 2023, but that's given me the opportunity to explore new paths and new options. And that's actually what I've been so excited about and just been loving life over the last few months. Yeah. Can you share a little bit more? Like what's next? What has you excited for the next phase, next chapter? Many things. I mean, 
I'm at such a, a weird turning point in my career that I've never had a traditional job by the regular standards. I went from high school to college to entrepreneurship, essentially. The future for me is it's open and full of possibilities. I know I'm really leaning into the cheesiness in a couple of these answers. Let me give you some more specifics. I've been able to move to New York, which is a place that just has so much going on that as I look for what's next, I like the idea of finding really exciting opportunities. And the way I'm going to do that is through meeting people and connecting with others in an area and a place that has a lot going on. Like being in New York is extremely exciting for me. I am also looking more towards being in the climate tech industry. It's a perfect overlap between something I've always been passionate about, love Mother, Ner Mother Earth, big tree hugger over here. But also, in op like speaking of opportunity, it's an industry that's growing at double digit rates per year and is getting billions of dollars dumped into it as an investment. So I think it's also an exciting place to be. So. All this to say, I don't have an exact plan at the moment. I'm still working through a, a lot of that or more like talking with different people and learning new skills. But this sabbatical has been exactly what I need to really take that step back and figure out what I do want to do. And I'll have to let you know when I, I have an answer, yeah. but that's not today. <laughs> We're certainly going to be following your journey. So no doubt about that. Let's shift a little bit more to Penn State. We're going to put you in the Lions Den, which is our segment brought to you by our friends at Lions Pride. Reminisce mm -hmm. about your time in Happy Valley. And also, of course, football is around the corner. So visit lions-pride.com to pick up the latest apparel and gear for the upcoming 2023 season. Matt, so you alluded to it at the beginning, right? You came up with this idea for reflection when you were in high school. We talked about, then we kind of jumped over Penn State and we talked about your journey with reflection. Mm. But so during your Penn State time, how did school prepare you for the early part of your career and your professional life? Yeah, I mean, that's a, that is a tough question for me in particular, in the sense that I didn't have the traditional Penn State path. I, I made it about two and a half years in, but even by my sophomore year, knew that I was going to be focused and probably leaving the university for this company. I, I, my answer is not coursework, but I don't think most people's answer would be coursework. Rather, what I learned was balance. It was a big part of it, having to figure out classes, exams, and a company. I think, though, my real answer is that if you were to ask me, like, Matt, how were you successful being an entrepreneur and doing classes and Penn, being a Penn State student, I'd love to say it's that I worked really hard and grinded my way to the top. But the reality is that I had amazing friends and people who were sharing notes with me from class and helping me study for exams and like those um, now i'm gonna sound like a disney trope and say the treasure was inside me all along and it was the friends <laughs> i made along the way but at the same time i think what i'm saying is that penn state really taught me the value of what of people and the more i get into my career the more i'm realizing that that's what matters the most great answer there Toughest question of the podcast, favorite Penn State memory? <laughs> that is an impossible question. I mean, you're talking about like 
four phenomenal years. That's a lot of days. But if you're going to make me pick one, I think I do have to go with a fan favorite. We'll set the scene again. Nighttime, October 22nd, 2016. Crisp autumn air. Penn State plays Ohio State. I'm sitting in the student section surrounded by Dan, Ryan, and a couple other friends that had gotten far separated from the rest of our group. <laughs> Tyler Durbin. Ohio State kicker, very reliable from inside the 40. Tees up for a chip shot of a field goal when all of a sudden Marcus Allen comes in, hand up, knocks it out. Grant Haley picks it up, returns for a touchdown, and everyone around me just rocks back in amazement and excitement and so much energy out of that moment. Now, so that was the us beating Ohio State in 2016. I picked that because not only was it a surreal moment to be a part of and have actually experienced as a sophomore in college, storming that field afterwards, all of it. But that was also a very pivotal game in Penn State football's program history as being one of the first major wins after the sanctions and really turning the program around, solidifying James Franklin's coaching career. It's a big game overall too. So I think that Ohio State game has to be my answer. Maybe you have a career as a sports broadcaster. <laughs> yeah, that was good. I like that. I like setting scenes. I'm a talker. I don't know. <laughs> hey, Matt, if you could go back and visit with yourself when you're 18 years old, starting out at Penn State, what advice would you share? 18 years old, Matt, I would first give that guy a hug. But then I think I would say that the next four years, they're going to be unforgettable. They're going to be nothing like you expect. But I think about this a lot myself now, and maybe this is just my current bias and something I would want to share to a younger version of me. But I'd remind him that the work, like hard work is never immediately gratifying. You don't work hard in the morning to expect something good in the afternoon. That's just not how anything in the real world works. Rather, you work hard for days, weeks, months, a college career. And then eventually you like pick your head up and you look around and you say, wow, these options around me are pretty amazing. And that was not from the work of today. That's from the work of behind. And what it, the takeaway of that is not to pat yourself on past Matt or like on, on the back of your past self, but to recognize that for the current moment, it's work hard now, keep your head down because you're creating opportunities for the future. And remembering that is something that, as I've learned to embody the idea of, is, has been very motivating for me just in, in my career. Yeah, it's a powerful answer right there. Yeah. Along the advice lines, when you find out someone's considering Penn State, what do you tell them? Why should they go there? <laughs> I was a line ambassador at Penn State as a tour guide. So I, I actually do kind of have an answer for this one. Nice. <laughs> this so was I. Guide. So was I. Well, All right. There yeah. you go. So for me, one of the big reasons I chose Penn State was because you can't make a small school big. But you can for a place like Penn State, you can make small. It's I would worry for the people and the students that go to co go to college and they don't find their group of amazing friends who they really bond with and connect with. And if 
you're at a place like Penn State that has a million different clubs and organizations, you're pretty much guaranteed to be able to find that niche. Maybe it'll take some time, but you'll get there. Whereas you don't necessarily have that guarantee at a small school. And ultimately, I'm like my real advice is trust your gut and everyone has a right path for themselves. But at least for me, when I was choosing schools, that was a really big consideration thinking about Penn State versus some of the other opportunities I had. And then Matt, further to that, how do you feel most connected to the university today? <laughs> Donation emails? <laughs> we all get them. Uh, yeah. No, I'm kidding there. I mean, it's a bit of a theme to my answers. I would say the alumni my friends included in that as well. As a tour guide, the Alumni Association for many years was really just a talking point for me that I'd mention as a way to convince parents more than students that Penn State was a place to send their kids. But now that I'm actually out of school and seeing the value, especially in these last few months, as I've reached out to a lot of Penn Staters looking for conversations, it's truly amazing seeing how much that alumni want to see other seeders succeed. So that more than anything, I think still just makes me feel this powerful connection to say, I have all these friends there. It's this network of people who want to see me succeed just like I do for those also from Penn State and around me. And I like being a part of that. Yeah, that's great. As you've been talking, one, I can't wait to see reflection in a local gym. And then I want to <laughs> battle Ross <laughs> on reflection and, and see who has the better time. That's if you ever sure. get a score over 200 in minefield, call me. But until then, <laughs> I'm not interested. <laughs> Jared doesn't drink coffee. I feel like I, if I have two cups of coffee and then I get on there, I'm real sharp. I, I got you, Jared. I'm gonna you're going to get, get me in the morning, huh? Yeah, that's, there your, you go. that's your plan. But uh, this has been a great 45 minutes speaking with you. I got to say, I love the device. I love the use cases but I love your journey. Oh, your story you. is so amazing. Most people that we have on have started their professional careers post Penn State. You started actually before. You had this idea in high school because of the concussion. You realized, hey, there's a solution out there that <laughs> hasn't been created yet. You My friends discussed. My friends describe me as still concussed though. So it's all there. No, but, I didn't mean to interrupt. I, no, it's, I think it's just amazing that you created this company and this product during your time at Penn State. And it just goes back to most people start their professional career after you started it during it. And there's no doubt whatever you do next, you are going to find success because of your drive and your ability to understand product market fit and thinking and listening to the customer and coming up with that solution. Yeah, Jared, I really appreciate you saying that. I hope you're right. I think you're right. <laughs> but even I'll even just build on top of that for any students listening. I did do it a bit backwards, but as a student, that is un questionably the best time to try to start a company. Not only will it be when you have the least amount of obligations in your life when it comes to kids, wife, mortgage, whatever it may be, but also you're surrounded by resources that are, are there to help you, especially at a place like Penn State that's put so much focus into entrepreneurship. There's a lot of resources, grant money, mentors, advisors who are all there to be able to help you. And 
that was something that reflection was very good at in our early days, especially it's if we didn't know something we asked, we knew what we didn't know and made a point to really try to learn from others and those around us, the answer to those questions. So if you're a student, if you're listening, really anybody that comes back to, if you have an idea and you really think there's something there, I couldn't encourage you more to go and try it and just see what happens because worst case you learn a lot. Yeah, that's great. We do have a lot of students listening. And I think that's a great theme and lesson that the starting point doesn't have to be after graduation. It could be at that right place and at that right time that you're in right now. Exactly. Precisely. Well, thanks for joining us. And we always end the podcast with, we are Penn State. Let's do it. Lion Legacy is a Baruta production. If you enjoy this Labor of Love podcast, we'd certainly appreciate it if you would subscribe and write us a review on your favorite podcast platform.